On the Grindhouse Girls podcast, we discuss all things spoopy, scary, and strange. Some content may be disturbing or graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, and welcome to Sidetracks the unscripted and unruly series where we share with you what we've been watching and whether it's worth your time. This is the Grindhouse Girls Podcast. Welcome back. This is Katie. Hi there, I'm Brittany. I feel like I have a newscaster voice on for some reason. Hello! Happy Mardi Gras! I have that, uh, like, my voice is, like, I'm not, like, coughing, coughing bad anymore. You know, you sound better this week. Thank you, but it's still, like, just a little strain. Like, I can hear it in my own voice, like, a little bit. Yeah. I know, I forgot you had been sick last week because you sounded so normal today, honestly. Thank so. you, thank you. <laughs> I was like, I you're was, like, oh, it's feeling better. I was like, you were sick last week, weren't you? Oops, I'm sorry. I had to, I had to, I felt kind of bad because uh, our friend Stephanie, she was like, I'm about to watch Werewolves Within. And I'm like, dude, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think Werewolves Within was my like best episode because I was like so zoned out because I wasn't feeling 100%. It, it happens. I've luckily skirted all the coffee fluey things so far i hope but people someone got strep throat at my office they mm. weren't at work thank god by the time i heard about it and i don't really interact with them but i was just like geez but my car saga i <sighs> my car i don't know if it's drivable or not basically i got in a, a, a fender bender that my car had the most damage but it's on the front end near the mechanical stuff and the hood is crinkled, so you can't look under the hood to see if there's anything damaged. But it seems like it's probably okay. But basically, I had a little snafu where the mechanic was like, yeah, you have an appointment to have it estimated. And then they were like, oh, wait, your vehicle's getting towed? They told me the day before the appointment that if I wasn't driving my vehicle, that it would get put into a non-drivable line that was different than the estimate which is fine if that's their policy but nobody told me two weeks ago so i'm i had a frustrating week because now i'm gonna be without a car even longer which is super fun but that was my worst thing i did like do a lot of organizing and i did watch some movies um not as many as i wanted to this week but i did end up watching two oscar nominees and one movie that i've been meaning to watch forever so I am proud of that. What did you, did you watch more this week? I only watched two things. And one of the two things I watched was uh, we did go see the Zone of Interest. So how was it? Uh, so I will tell you Taylor's opinion before I tell you my own. So Taylor 
went with me and Taylor's very supportive because I always tell him because usually I kind of have feelings about certain movies I was like I don't think he's gonna like this yeah and so I said you don't have to go with me he's like no I want to go because he's like I want to be able to talk about it I was like okay so he went with me he goes congratulations on picking the most boring movie possible to watch (gasps) and I was like yeah I had a feeling you were gonna say that so it is Jonathan Glazer I know I know Katie knows so this is Jonathan Glazer he directed Under the Skin uh, this is based off a book, but it's very, very loosely based off the book. It's more rooted in the real world, the real world of what happened versus the book that it's based off of. But Rudolf Haas was like the like head like conductor of the Auschwitz camp, mm-hmm. and basically him and his family they lived in what they called the zone of interest. They lived in this villa that was like basically within walking distance of the camp. Yep. Now, the big thing about this movie. I think why a lot of people is sticks in their head is that there's nothing really dramatic that happens during the course of the movie. Like I think as like we watch movies, we're so used to there being like splatters of blood or like violence Uh or people just dying. The really eerie thing about this movie is the sound design. So they're Mm. living like completely normal lives. Like they're in their garden. They're eating dinner with their family. But the sound design, you can hear gunshots. Or you can hear like a faint scream in the background. Or you see the crematorium like just bellowing in the distance. I think from what I've read on it, that's kind of the point of the movie is like these people who were in charge of these horrific, cruel, terrible acts against humanity. The people in concentration camps are just, like, living their life like there's nothing wrong. And it's absolutely fucking despicable. And, I mean, I think it can be applied to nowadays where there are people, you know, there's genocide being committed all over the world right now. And there are people that live very near it that are just pretending, la, 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 nothing's happening. I think that's exactly what they were trying to drive home was that like looking at the historical perspective, we're just like these fucking pieces of shit. How could they have done this? They're living their normal life. But it's like, you know what? We turn a blind eye to things all the time that are happening because, you know, sometimes it's just like you read something bad on the news, you turn it off right because it makes you uncomfortable. And it's like, so there is a very fine line that you have to question. It's like, how yeah. often do we cross it? And I, you know, reading more about this after I saw it, there was an interview with his daughter because Rudolph and his wife Hedwig, they had five children. You see all five children in the mm-hmm. movie. And his daughter was like, you know, he was a wonderful father. Like he read us bedtime stories every night. He'd take us out on the boat. And so you once again, you have this man who by all accounts was a wonderful father. But this was his job, right? His yeah. job was making sure that and hundreds he, of thousands of people went to their death. Yeah. And he also, I think, had a lot of, like, ideas for how to be more efficient killing yes. people. And so, it, and it's Auschwitz, so it is... Uh, well, I don't know. Treblinka was also really bad. But I think Auschwitz is the one that people remember the most about. And yeah. it... it, it it's the scariest one, I think, to a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. But yeah, I mean, literally, I saw Life is Beautiful in high school and it completely wrecked my soul. So, yeah. and I mean, I, I know there have to have been people who probably didn't know what was... I know they kept from the public what was really going on in the camps publicly. Because even, like, the Allied forces, when they were um, liberating people, didn't really realize how bad it was. I don't know. It's it's a terrible thing that I don't ever want to happen again. But unfortunately, like, people be peopling. And sometimes peopling means genocide. And it's not okay. 
Not that... I Sorry, that sounds really glib, but I mean, like, it happens. And I don't... I don't know how, as a whole society, we sit by and we are like, well, you know, this happened, so I understand why they started this genocide. It's like, whether there was an instigating incident, genociding another group of people because they're different from you is never okay. But I think that's what the movie is trying to portray. Does it portray it, I guess, is where I was going with that. Sorry. Does it portray it? It's definitely, I think, exactly that. Where it's like, they are... I think what Jonathan Glazer did is actually very interesting. Because even though the movie doesn't have, like, blood or, like, a lot of violence. Like, you don't ever see explicit violence ever happen on screen in this movie. Hmm. It's kind of like, that's the real horror to it. Is that, like, it's right there. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like, but we're going to keep living our lives. And it's it's driving home the fact that they don't seem much different from us. But then yeah. there's things that, there's bits of dialogue and stuff that like, so this movie doesn't have like a soundtrack even that you're just like, you know, because I, I always tell Taylor too, like, you know, soundtrack and music will play with your emotions a lot because there'll be like yeah. maybe like a string or something like some mm-hmm. kind of noise. But what's haunting about this film is the dialogue that happens is just spoken so nonchalantly, but cuts you to the bone. Sometimes the things they say, because it's just everyday life for them. Yeah. And then like, there's a scene, this is not like a super big spoiler, because there's a scene I would love to talk about that's like one of the final scenes in the film. But obviously, because it's one of the final scenes in the film, I'll leave it to you guys to watch it. So when Katie watches it later, we can come back and talk about it. But there's a scene where he's with his two of his children and they're playing like on the shores of this river and he's just like trying to oh. fish and you just see like the water kind of slow, slowly turn gray. And as the audience, we know it's like the ashes from the crematorium, but he looks down and he feels something. He picks it up and it's a human jawbone and there's no like music mm. There's nothing to just, like, elicit, like, this, like, great response. But you know what it is. And he just takes his kids and he's like, we got to go. And so they go and they get them home and they scrub them head to toe. And afterwards, you see they have, like, a pol- like a Polish-Jewish helpers in the house. And you see yeah. the face of one of the women as she's cleaning out the tub after the children have bathed in it. And so it's... It's, I think it's very thought-provoking, but yeah. it's not a loud movie. So it's not one of those movies that I think I could just recommend to anybody because not everybody is going to have, like, the same yeah. visceral reaction watching it, I yeah. think. Because it is kind of, like, slower moving. Well, and that's kind of his... I haven't seen Sexy Beast yet, or Birth, which are two mm-hmm. other movies that I want to see by Jonathan Glazer. But even though there was the sci-fi cool aspect of Under the Skin... A lot of it was very pensive and quiet and, like, you trying to figure out what she was thinking. Which is weird because yeah. the book is from her perspective and you learn everything about her. Which, personally, I I think I enjoyed the book a little bit more than the movie. But the movie is really good. But his yeah. was more of, like, her trying to figure out can she be human and all that stuff. And what does it mean to be human and a person. So it doesn't surprise me that this is a more, like thoughtful movie it's just about a really really depressing and disturbing subject because i'm sorry it's it's fucking disturbing that humans just systematically killed other humans in a factory like setting now on like a yeah it's exactly and it's really 
it's really interesting and also disturbing, like, the more you read about, like, Rudolf Haas and, like, his life. But I will say, on a film standpoint, this is, like, an interesting fact. So, Jonathan Glazer called this, like, uh, big... I forgot his actual terminology, but it was something to the point of, like, Big Brother in the Nazi house. Because what he mm. did, he he um, employed cameras all throughout the house. So, the house is, like, almost a direct replica of the actual Haas house. Oh. But he just had the actors do their thing with cameras running so it's very like almost naturalistic because they didn't know cameras were always on them at certain points and i i think it gives a very lived-in performance and i think that's kind of what makes it even more kind of visceral watching it it's almost like you are just watching people live their lives which once again is why it could be boring probably to a lot of people i didn't find it boring i thought it was really thought-provoking but like yeah. i said it's just i don't think it's gonna be everyone's cup of tea i mean I just don't. it is a it is a holocaust movie although yeah. it's from a different perspective because it's focusing exactly. on the people committing the atrocities mm-hmm. but who are trying to wash their hands of any guilt because it's just their job i'm like but you're killing people as your job that that really shouldn't be anybody's job reading about it i because i kind of had like i'm one of those people and i don't know if you're the same way but you know sometimes i watch a movie and i'm like okay these are the feelings i had but i want to read more into it yeah because obviously uh rudolph hoffs was sentenced to death and uh, he was hung for his crimes um but while he was waiting to essentially die he wrote his autobiography and he claims like he's like hedwig had no idea like what was really going on blah 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 it's like there's no way in hell hedwig (laughs) like do they have well then where were the random gunshots and all the furnace smoke i mean come on early in the movie hedwig gets literally a fur coat and you can only imagine where the fur coat comes from because we all are smart enough to know where the fur coat comes from. Right. But I think the children may have actually had not known. And the right. only reason is because, like, structurally, I was reading that they had, like, trees and they had, like, a high wall. So I think he did try to keep his children from knowing what was really happening in the camp. Now, I think okay. the oldest one had to have known and i heard the oldest one was cruel now once again i don't know this family this is just what i was reading after watching the movie but how they actually ended up finding so when everything was over the family fled and rudolph went to one city and was pretending to be a farmer and hedwig took the children and ran to another city and they ended up finding hedwig and the the way they got where he was was they actually beat the oldest son and she wanted to protect her son, so she gave up her husband's location. They found his location. He's like, no, I'm not Rudolf Haas. And they're like, well, give us your wedding ring. And the wedding ring had the inscription of him and his wife's name in it, which is how they eventually got him. But yeah, so I, you that's my thing. I, I don't know if all five of the children knew, but I feel like the oldest and his wife had to have known what was going on. Yeah. I mean, I, I know as a child, you don't really have a lot of control over your situation, but yeah, I just as a parent, like, why didn't, I just feel like if I saw people actually murdering other people, I would be like, it's time to get the fuck out of this country. If I, especially like if you weren't a person who would be barred from leaving, you know, oh, yeah. I don't know. Maybe it was hard, harder to leave than I think. I, I want to think that. I would be a Captain Von Trapp in this yeah. situation and be like, fuck you, Nazis. I'm not participating in the murder. But I don't, I mean, I mean, obviously, like, I wouldn't do that. But I'm like, I don't know. I, I, 
I don't know what you you want to think you you want to think you would that. be the best you want to you want to think you'd be the best version of yourself and that you want to yeah. help someone else and I I believe the same thing but then it's like it's but when you have you kids really I guess know. it's harder because you're like am I putting my kids in danger for standing up for what's right and you are yeah. but then it's also like get your kids out of the country this is not an yeah. okay place to be it's like, you know, there's some unsafe places here for a lot of people. I will not live in those places. I know um, right now my coworker's son, he's a uh, sophomore and they're reading mm-hmm. Night by Ellie Wiesel. And I was like, mm. I was like, oh my God, because I had I to read, that, read that my that senior one. year of high school. I don't and think anyone is, made me read that one. It's not a very long book, but it's a book I will never read again. Like I'm, it needs to assist it needs to assist, but I will never read it again. So yeah, and oh. I've said it before on the podcast, but when I was a second grader, we learned what the Holocaust was. And it's because years later, I found out that my second grade teacher was actually a baby and her and her family were Jewish and they fled Germany. Uh, so she was she wanted to teach us even at a very yeah. young age what it was. And that's where I first read the poem uh, about the butterfly and you know, there are no butterflies in the ghetto. So yeah, it's um it's very hard, but yeah, I... I uh, in closing, I, I would love to hear more people's opinion on this mm-hmm. movie. I, I can't say I liked it, but I can say that it stuck with me after watching it. Well, that's, you know, that's fair. I will. Yeah. I know, I'm like, I'm like ah. part of me is like, I do, a, I feel like it's, I almost always want to see movies about the Holocaust because I feel like it's our duty to not forget that that happened. Yeah. But then it's also like, it's very painful, but also, I'm like, it's not as painful as being put in a concentration camp, so I can watch a movie and tell people to watch movies. I would highly suggest, if not this movie, if you want a movie that will actually, will rip your fucking soul out, but also, it's very beautiful in the beginning, and honestly, it ends beautifully. It's kind of a bittersweet ending, is Life is Beautiful, which is kind of a silly, it, maybe it's a little dated by now, but it is, it is really great, and it... I think it's appropriate to show, like, high schoolers and middle schoolers, probably. I saw it in, like, I think my sophomore year. And then we had a Holocaust survivor talk to us right after we watched the movie. So it was it was a lot of feels that day. Yeah. Um, he was a lovely man. And, um, but the movie's, it's, it's uh, told from, like, more, like, it's an Italian film. So it's, like, more of, like, what happened in Italy. But still, it's very similar stuff so uh maybe maybe start with that that one also hunters is fun if you want to see a bunch of nazis get killed but there's also some flashbacks to concentration camps which is not fun but never don't forget about the holocaust it happened and i don't want it to happen again yeah i appreciate jonathan glazer making a movie about it I don't know. I, it sounds like it is gut-wrenching. But thank you for seeing I'm glad you got to go see it because I was fully intending on seeing it. And then my car was out of commission and we were taking care of all that stuff. Speaking of thinking movies are boring, I watched Maestro today. Yeah, okay. Oh, God. Thank God. I thought you were going to say Past Lives. I was like, no. I also so, watched Maestro. Past Lives. I, yeah. Much. Past yeah. Lives will be a good conversation. I went on a bit of a rant with Scott, who has no interest in Leonard Bernstein and didn't know who he was. And I was like, listen, I'm a musical theater kid. And I also was 
a classically trained vocalist growing up and I sang with choirs. I have listened to his music. I have sang his music and I have been conducted before by conductors. And I like that world. I loved watching Tar last year because it was cool. I I love the environment of like uh, orchestras and conductors and choirs and stuff. Like it's fun. I've, I've lived in it as a young child and it's exciting to me. But I found Maestro incredibly boring. Well acted. Yeah, Carrie Mulligan, right? Carrie Mulligan's great. The voice is a little weird, but that might be what she actually sounded like. It may have just been mm-hmm. very, very accurate. Yeah. Um, everyone had, like, very Catherine Hepburn accents. Like, they're old Hollywood. They talked like this. And I was a little like, okay, well. But uh, and here's the thing. Okay, so it's a biopic about Leonard Bernstein, who was one of the greatest American composers, definitely of the 20th century. He wrote West Side Story. He wrote a ton of other, like, uh, much more serious classical pieces, but probably everyone knows West Side Story. On the town, uh, on the, not on the Western Front, but on, on the water side? On the waterfront. Oh, oh, the Marlon Brando? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm trying to think, there was another musical. Oh, Candide. Why did I forget Candide? I have Candide. Candide, which is, like, one of my favorite opera... It's an opera, but it's more of a musical theater opera, but it's great. Because um, it's by the, it's about the Voltaire book that I also love. Um, so, like, I love Leonard Bernstein. Leonard Bernstein's life, honestly, though, he accomplished great things in music, but his life was kind of normal. It was, like, he and his wife had a very happy marriage. And, yes, he was bisexual, and he had affairs with men and women throughout their marriage, but... By all accounts, she was totally aware and okay with it. And they, they were upfront and honest with every, each other, like, from day one. And they had a beautiful marriage. That's not interesting to me because there's no conflict there. And, like, they try to have conflict. They have, like, two fights mm-hmm. in the entire thing. And it's kind of a nothing fight where then, like, they don't really, like talk to each other and forgive each other. Like, literally, they're fighting. He... The one the one conducting scene that they show is him conducting uh, Mahler's Requi- uh, Resurrection Symphony in this church, and it was this very famous thing that he did. And then all of a sudden, he, like, kisses her she forgives off to the him, side. Yeah. And I'm like... Oh. Okay, it was very weird. But the thing that... Like, the thing that gets me about biopics is I think you need a through line to carry all these themes across. And there wasn't really, like, a theme to his life that they could have picked. Like, if they're going to pick it about his affairs, have that be the through line. Or have it be about his, like, conducting. Like, have us in the room with him conducting. But they kind of... Bradley Cooper said, like, well, there's so many videos. Oh, this is according to IMDb. There's so many videos of him actually conducting that it's just, I'm not good enough to be him. So I'm only going to concentrate on one scene. I was like, then why didn't you get someone else to play Leonard Bernstein? If, if, that, if you want to direct, get someone who has conducting experience, who can be a conductor. Like, yeah. and he apparently trained for six years to conduct or something. And I was like, and conducting is much harder than it looks, but, like, it's for a movie. So, like, yeah. you can fake it a little bit. It's going to be okay. I, that annoyed me. But the thing I kept thinking about was, like, Rustin. 
that I watched last week that is also a biopic about a, a queer historical figure around the same time period. And what they did great with Rustin was instead of, like, spanning his entire life, they were like, here's him arranging the March on Washington, which was one of his biggest accomplishments in his career and made a huge difference in the civil rights movement. And here's all of these people that he interacted with that became important figures in the civil rights movement in their own right. And we're going to see how they interact with each other. And so like, you're always moving towards a goal. That's his through line is to make this March happen. And it ends when the March is successful. And then they tell you, like, this is what he did with the rest of his life. There's a little epilogue. And it's like, okay, great. With this one, first of all, oh, the other thing is, like, so it's supposed to focus on their relationship. But, again, their relationship was ha happy. Therefore, not, I'm sorry, not interesting in a movie. Because, like, I, I love happy people, but there's no conflict there. And, like, they did this whole thing where he talks to his daughter about how people are always jealous of me. This guy tried to, like, shoot me in college. I was like, why didn't we see that scene? That would have been a, an interesting thing to see. The other thing is, so they met, dated and got engaged, then broke up. I'm not sh I've never seen why, but I assume it's something about the them worrying that their differences, their mixed uh, what do you, orientation marriage maybe wouldn't work. So she started dating, I think it was it Richard Hart. I think it was Richard Hart. And you she dated right. him until he died in 1951. And then later that year, she fully converts to Judaism and marries Leonard Bernstein, which her, I think they say in the movie, like her, one of her parents is Jewish and one of them isn't. So like, so she like, I was like, where was all of that? That would have been interesting. Them breaking off their engagement and then getting back together after her boyfriend dies and him having affairs, that would have been an interesting aspect of their life to see. But instead, and other than her getting diagnosed with cancer and him, you know, coming back to their relationship and spending every last second of hers with her. Yeah. There wasn't a lot of conflict. And that was a very beautiful thing, but, like, I feel like they could have focused on a, a more interesting part of his life, and it would have been an interesting movie, but because it spanned so long and had so little conflict, I was just like, these are just scenes from a happy marriage. An well, unconventional marriage, but a happy marriage. I just feel like it veered into very typical biopic category, which is, like, we keep seeing these biopics that span like 30 years, right? Like yeah. 20 to 30 years. And it's just like, but wh why not just focus on like a part of someone's life? Yes. Like, why do we have to focus on literal decades of it? You right? know? Yeah. It's just like, not very exciting. And this happens over and over again, especially yeah. with like people in music. And like, I, I like, I like music and musicals and con I was like, if I think it's boring, I'm sure, I'm sure people who aren't interested in that think it's boring. Also like, like, you think about, like, The Wolf of Wall Street, Goodfellas, The Aviator, The Imitation Game, where they're all focusing on, like, a goal that this person is going for. Like, I kept thinking of movies like that. Like, where I was like, I mean, it was just so much interesting. Now, I will say, Scott pointed this out. He's like, well, yeah, but a lot of the people that are the main subjects of those movies, not all of them, obviously, but, like, Wolf of Wall Street, Goodfellas, they're complete shitbags. And so it's kind of interesting to watch a shitbag get themselves into trouble. I was like, that is true. 
And Leonard Bernstein seems to not have been a shitbag. He seems to be a pretty nice guy. But that's the other thing is he's too nice to be interesting. I hate that. Like, Rustin was, like, controversial because he, like, wouldn't stop. And because he was gay, people wouldn't let him be as big of a part of the civil rights movement as he probably should have been. And so that's interesting. Leonard Bernstein being bisexual didn't seem to cause any issues for him, except he and his wife got into a couple tizzies and they never even got divorced. So I don't know. Maybe maybe it's because the family was involved that they didn't want to like pry too deep into the marital issues of them. Maybe their life was more traumatic, but it seemed like everyone worked through their issues. And that's lovely, but it's not compelling as a film. Also, what the hell was with the black and white parts? I thought it was like, I thought it was just like a stylistic choice of like how like film essentially changed, like film and theater, right? Because it would have been like, at that point, like it would have largely been considered like film would have been in black and white. And so that was my, I don't want to say it's pandering because I thought mm-hmm. the movie was really pretty. Like it was like, it was really, pretty. It was, it was really in pretty. Yeah, I don't dislike the black and white, but it it felt like it was a little bit too on the nose. Like, it was like, oh, I see what you're doing. That's the era. And that was like the stylistic choice they typically used in that era. Well, the thing that gets me is like, okay, the other movie that does black and white and color really well is The Wizard of Oz. Problematic Mm. movie, I know. Like, there's stuff about it. But The Wizard of Oz... When Dorothy is in Kansas, it's in black and white. She gets to the magical land of Oz, and it's in color, and it's vibrant, and it's beautiful, because it's something she's never seen before. And then she goes back home, and it's her comforting black and white Kansas, right? This movie was like, okay, here's Leonard Bernstein at 70. It's in color. Okay, here's Leonard Bernstein at 25. It's in black and white. All right. These are his flashbacks. So I assume that we that was the reason they did that was so we would know when it was a flashback or like a, a present time. Like they were going to go back to him on his like thing. Like there was going to be a framing device. I was like, okay. But then it just continues to be black and white. I was like, okay, well, that was stylistic choice. But I guess we got a mank going on. And then when it changes to color, there's no thematic reason for it to change to color. It's just like, oh, it's later on in their life and so now it's color and i was like maybe they should have changed it to color like when something happened in their life to change that like maybe they have children and all of a sudden it's in color because like our lives changed because we became parents or something like that you know maybe it goes black and white when they're apart i don't know but like have a thematic reason for it i just thought it was i just took it as it was a changing of the times like you know it's like i guess in black and white and then now we're in the decade where everything is in color kind of like like when you watch like when i was a kid it always kind of confused me i'd be watching gilligan's island and some of the episodes were in black (laughs) and and white and and some of them were color yeah Yeah, so it's kind of like that and it's like oh because there was a distinct point in time where everything became color and i thought it was kind of like that which i guess is a choice personally i felt it was a choice that had nothing to do with the plot or theme and just seemed like a choice for no reason and no purpose and therefore why make why make the effort to make something black and white for part of it also personally I like historical movies that cover, like, I I know Lifetime movies are stupid, but there were some Lifetime movies about, like, Lucille Ball's life 
and and um, a couple other like older actresses' lives, and I enjoyed seeing that side of that those things that were filmed in black and white but in color because it was interesting to me to see like what did the costumes really look like like it's something you don't get to see and instead yeah. like all these people are in these beautiful costumes they're at these parties and like everything's in black and white and you can't really enjoy it and yeah. to me I felt like it was a weak choice and I didn't like it personally and I, I don't think Bradley Cooper is a bad director I just think he probably shouldn't direct movies he stars in. I think it's very interesting because we we have these talks sometimes. Like, for example, we keep seeing the trailer for If by John Kerensky. I was like, it's really interesting that he followed up A Quiet Place with, like, a family movie. To me, this was a very interesting mm-hmm. choice to follow up with A Star is Born. Because yeah. I, do, I do feel like A Star is Born is the stronger film, personally. Yeah, this... I, I don't hate him as Leonard Bernstein either. I think he did an okay job. I don't really know what Leonard Bernstein sounded like. He had a very distinct voice, which to me was a little caricature but maybe that's what he actually sounded like. So I'm trying not to be judgmental on that end because I'm like, I don't know these people and I didn't have time to go back and find audio clips of them talking. So I'm not 100% sure. But, you know, and they did have the scandal like, oh, he's wearing a prosthetic nose to look like him. But his children did all sign off on it, and the Anti-Defamation League, too. So I'm like, uh, I guess I can't really say anything about that. But I think if he was going to be Leonard Bernstein, maybe we should have had someone else direct it, in my opinion. I think it's very interesting because this one also made the National Board of Review's top 10 movies of the year, too. So it's not like this was just like a movie that the Academy liked. It's like, oh, no, this National Board of Review ended up loving this movie. And I don't think I don't think it was a terrible movie. And I know we talked about it before you saw it that like I just didn't think it was a great movie. No, it was just it was boring. like a, a okay movie. I like Carrie Mulligan's performance. She's I great. Did, I did cry. I did cry I towards the end when she got cancer. I really I did. did. But to be fair, I watched the first half regular speed, and then I was like, I gotta finish this movie before we record, and I turned it to one point five speed. So I did yeah. speed. Th- I did slow it down when she yeah. got sick, though, to appreciate when, the acting and the I music kinda- portion. I slowed it down. I kind of got teared up when they when they got the news in the doctor's office. But yeah, it was that really was a good her, scene. It was really her interaction with her oldest daughter when she's yeah. arguing with Maya her. Maya Hawke did a great job. Yeah. She was she good. Did. And yeah. Sarah Silverman was great as his sister. And the, like, the actors were great. The other thing I hated was that they glossed over all these historical figures. Like, you, he interacts with, like, Jerome Robbins. And they mentioned Stephen Sondheim. But they don't mm-hmm. really, like, focus. And then, like, David Oppenheim was the guy that he dated, um, the clarinetist. Um, yes. But, like, they they only said his, like, first name. And I was just kind of like, I'm not saying you have to have an awkward conversation where you're like, this is blah, blah, blah. But, like, when you're introducing your wife, like, maybe have one scene where we know who these people are. Because, yeah. like, if you didn't. I was having a hard time remembering names of people that, like, I, like, that wrote a bunch of musical theater songs I had to sing. And I was like, oh, that was supposed to be that person? Well, that's, uh, you know. Whereas, like, I'm comparing it to Rustin because it was the other biopic I watched. But Rustin was much more entertaining and much more fun. And if they didn't have time in the dialogue to introduce the character, they put it across the screen for you. So you would know who this person was. Which I know... 
in some movies. I don't know if that would work for this movie, but, like, I needed something. Um, the other thing was they had this choice, and I don't know how you felt about this, to only use either Leonard Bernstein's music or music he had conducted publicly as the soundtrack. And sometimes it worked. And sometimes, like, when they used the West Side Story overture, it didn't work for me. And it's, like, square peg round hole because you're trying to fit a... Like, but I, if they had done something like Baby Driver where they choreographed a scene to the songs, I think I would have liked it, but it, there wasn't that much attention to detail. Yeah. And I feel like maybe... I don't think Bradley Cooper... Well, I guess he sang in A Star Is Born, so maybe he's more musical than I think he is, but I don't know yeah. if he's as musical as he thinks he is. Because I feel like, not that, I don't even think Edgar Wright can sing. I don't even know if Edgar Wright is a musician. But Edgar Wright, with music, is really great in his films and television shows that he's directed. He really knows how to make a, make a scene fit a song that was yeah. not written for it. I don't think that's Bradley Cooper's strong point. And to me, it was bothering me because I was like, I like this song, but it does not match the scene that's going on. And I would have, I would have just rather them have like only diegetic music, like you only hear the music when he's actually playing it, than yeah. have it play through the whole thing. That being yeah. said, Leonard Bernstein's a fantastic composer, and the music is beautiful. So it's kind yeah. of, I don't know. How did you feel about the music? Because maybe I'm just being no, a brat I, about I it. never actually. No, no, I didn't think about it honestly. I guess I was so. Um, I know some of Lennon Bernstein's stuff. I know he's very, very influential um, in the world of music and musical theater. But I, I, I didn't even think about it that you're right that it was just his score throughout the entire movie. Yeah. That's very interesting. I Googled it. I was like, are yeah, they only using Leonard Bernstein music? And it was. And I was like, hmm. Mm. It is a choice. I, You know what? I just, I'm just going to say it. I don't think it's a bad movie. I think... It's an average movie, and I think he played it safe a lot in this movie. Yes. He played the safe route. Yeah, like, I feel like there must have been some point in Leonard Bernstein's life. Because wasn't he also, like, I don't think he was blacklisted, but I know he was very liberal. And I'm pretty sure he was, like, on the, you know, communist list or something. Mm. And he also, like, was a big, like, he he supported, like, the Black Panthers. He and his wife, like, helped raise money to free a bunch of Black Panthers during the Civil Rights Movement who had gotten jailed and stuff. Like, they were... She, like, his wife, like, protested and got arrested. Yeah, and like I'm like, where was all that shit? That would have been interesting. Like, not that it has to have to be the whole movie, but, like, it, I, th that's not even touched upon in this movie. And I was like, did you not want to offend people that they were liberals and they were super into... I mean, obviously they're liberal. They have an open marriage, you know? I yeah. mean, and and then they mention the whole engagement Roger Hart thing in the fight, but they don't show us it. They keep talking about the interesting bits of their lives, but they don't show them. And if you're watching a movie, you show, you don't tell, because it's something yeah. you're watching. I think you hit on it <sighs> earlier, though. His children were obviously involved in this. And yeah. it's kind of like, I think whenever family is really heavily involved in a biopic, they do tend to play it very safe. Yes. And because I, I keep thinking back to when Boslerman did Elvis. And so, like, obviously, Elvis 
people liked it. It was nominated for Academy Awards, yeah, like Austin was, Butler was, was obviously fun. nominated for Best Actor. But it wasn't really a critically acclaimed film, right? Yeah. But then Priscilla was made, and Priscilla was critically acclaimed. But Lisa Marie Presley, before she passed away, she she was like, I hate this movie. I hate the way it portrays my father. Even though her mother was a producer on it, and it was based on her mother's autobiography. So yeah. I think, you know, we do see that a lot where, yes, he played it safe, but it may have been because the children of Leonard Bernstein was, are still alive and yeah. relatively young. Um, yeah. And some of them are still it. composers. I think I think Jamie is a composer, and she she's still super active, like, in the music circles and stuff. Um, she has a yeah. cool website. I went on her website and was like, what is Jamie doing? I will say, though, this was not as bad as the Gaudi movie with John Travolta, so at least mm. there's that. I don't okay. know. I just, yeah, it, Gaudi's terrible, but the whole family was involved, and so they couldn't, I don't know, they couldn't be, make a person who literally ordered hits on other people <laughs> make, look as bad as he was. Because his family was involved. And I get that. But I'm also like, I don't know. It's it's one of those things like you want the blessing of the family so you don't offend them and you're respectful. But sometimes the truth is some not some. Obviously, Leonard Bernstein wouldn't even tell his daughter, like, yeah, the rumors are true. Uh, your mother and I have an open marriage. Like, he completely lies to his daughter. And, I mean, she knows the truth. But it's just like, it's, I don't know. It's just like, maybe, maybe... Maybe have more of a fight. Maybe have a few more fights. But I'm sure for the family, this was a lovely watch. Yeah. Because their parents had a lovely marriage. An unconventional for that day's standards. But honestly, nowadays, ethical polyamory is very popular now. More, I mean, maybe not as popular, but I, you know, much more popular than it used to be. And there are a lot of people who are ethically non-monogamous and I think it's not shocking to share that kind of a story. Maybe if they had made this movie like 10, 20 years ago, people may have been like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that. But nowadays it's kind of like, yeah, sometimes people love the companionship of their person, but seek sexual gratification elsewhere. And as long as they're both okay with it, that's their business. And I feel like that was what the, he was trying to say with the movie. He was like, look at their marriage. It was so unconventional. I was like, Bradley Cooper, maybe you've gotten too old for your own good. Because it's actually not that shocking. Yeah. Definitely well made and well acted. But the writing sucks. And I noticed it was not nominated for any writing awards. <laughs> but yeah. for some reason, it's nominated for Best Director. Uh, like, he's nominated Ooh. for Best Actor, too, isn't he? Bradley's yeah. nominated no, for wait, Best Actor. No, wait, not Best Director. It's Best uh, movie. Yeah, best picture. Best, best picture, picture. Best, best picture, best actor, best supporting actress, right? So. No, but I think best actress and oh, actor, because I think Carrie, Carrie Mulligan. Mulligan is best actress, yeah. okay. Which I love Carrie. I think she did she a great job. Good. If anyone yeah. should win for this movie, it's Carrie Mulligan, I it's think. A, I have Perfect. to say, I think Carrie Mulligan actually may have one of the best careers of any actress I've ever seen. She's, she's taken so on good. some really great roles in her yeah. career. And she's still young. She's not even 40 yet, I don't think. I know. So, yeah. Um, she's great. Um, but on a more happy happy tangent, I watched Past Lives! Finally! And I loved, I loved it. it. I loved it. Did you it cry? Was, I didn't cry. I got misty-eyed. But I didn't okay. fall my eyes out. But I, I was I was moved. Um, I, I think it is a lovely movie. 
and you can tell it's so personal and so yeah. honest because it is loosely based on the director slash writers. Celine's songs, yeah. Her, yeah, her actual, her childhood sweetheart came to visit her and her husband and it was kind of a similar thing where, like, she realized, like, well, okay, I don't want to spoil it, but basically, like, something similar happened in her life. Um, I do love the quote from Nora's mom in the beginning when, like, she's telling Hayseong's mom, his mom, that they're moving, and you know, she's like, "If you leave something behind, you gain something too." I was like, "Oh, that's a beautiful line." This is like, like, "Why are you moving?" I think this is like the it like to me, it's like an endlessly quotable film because like the language is like so beautiful. Yes, and it and for me, I think. It's the human experience to always wonder what if. Almost everyone's had a friend or a childhood sweetheart who moved away. And you're like, what happened to them? What What if we had stayed in touch? And it is interesting to explore that. But yeah, I agree. Like, it's, it's interesting how many people, I think more people than you would think have had like that kind of experience. And that's yeah. why probably it's very familiar. And it's also it- like... Gives you perspective. And I'm going to go into spoilers a little bit oh, okay. just because I love this movie. And it's it's been it's been out since June. It's available it's on, Paramount on Paramount Plus, Plus. now. Yes. Yes. On Paramount Plus. I mean, it's definitely worth a watch. It's absolutely it worth a watch. It's it, only like an hour and 40 minutes, too. It's not yeah. very long. It was really special talking with my friend Steven about this movie because Steven's an immigrant and he, mm-hmm. he was born and raised in South Korea. And something else is also about... It's not just about, like, a past life and, like, how your life was... But also, like, how your life is different when you're an immigrant and what you lose in -hmm. in coming here. So it's like Nora literally changes, like, her name. And she she changes as a person, right? And so it's like she loses a part of herself. And Haesung is, like, that part of her old life, too. So it's not just, like, a romance aspect, but literally, like, the, the... being an immigrant and how your life yeah. is different once you well, immigrate. And she vocalizes that at the end where mm-hmm. she's like, the little girl you left behind, I left her with you in Korea. Yeah. Oh, she, God. She, and she's like, she was a real person, but I'm not that little girl anymore. Yeah. And, you know, and I'm like, oh, that's so true. I love oh. the, um, he, he doesn't, I don't know if he says it exactly like, I love you but I love you for you, and you're someone who leaves. But for yes. Arthur, Arthur's her husband. For Arthur, you're, you're someone, someone who, who stays. stays. And so many people, the one thing I will complain, not about this movie because I love this movie, is that the trailer made it seem like a love triangle. Yes. It's not a love triangle. It's not. There's there's never any kind of doubt. For me, watching this movie, I never had a doubt in my mind she was going to leave her husband. Like I'm like, she right. loves her husband. You know, yeah. it's just there's that... There's that what if, and they have this connection, and E. Young, which is like the idea of like, you know, they explain it a lot better in the movie, but it's like basically how you can pass on the street in one life, and you may be this in another life, and so you're always meeting up again with different people and different lifetimes. And if you have so many lifetimes together, you're supposed to be soulmates. And then I love, because she's telling her, this is like the first time she meets her husband, and she tells him this story, and he's like, do you believe that? Because he's not Korean, he's uh, Jewish-American. And she's like, uh, no, that's just something Korean people tell people to seduce them, and then they kiss, and it's really cute. 
I was yeah. I loved that scene. Also, it's the guy who played the bad guy in the first season of Umbrella Academy. Yes, but also just... but also played one of the guys in Overlord, and so I really like that actor. I think he also looks exactly like Celine's not exactly, but very similar to Celine Song's husband. Yes, he's, Celine Song's husband is very tall, and she's she's probably my height or shorter. Oh, so not a, not a tall person, but they are so cute together. They look very similar. So I really liked the movie. I was like, okay, I like this movie. I like this movie. And then they're sitting in the bar. And so next time we go to New York, it's called the Holiday Cocktail Lounge. Because I looked up the bar, followed oh. on Instagram. And I was like, I'm going there next time. But he's talking to her. And slowly they turn the conversation. And so I think her husband, Arthur, speaks like some Korean. But he's yeah. not like completely fluent. And they right. start talking completely in Korean. And the, he says the line, he's like, I didn't think. I didn't think I like. I didn't think I was gonna like your husband this much. Like it hurts oh, to like your says, husband this much. I didn't realize it would hurt this much to yes. like your husband. Yes, to love your husband because like the thing yes. is like nobody's a bad guy in this situation, which is no. sometimes even more heartbreaking. Like, so I finally got Scott to start watching Ted Lasso. Which he immediately is obsessed with because he actually watches Premier League soccer, and I was like, "You're going to love this show." But there is—have you seen Ted Lasso yet? Only like the first four episodes. Okay, I think. so I so, think yeah. this happens in the first few episodes. But his wife and son come to visit, and yes. he and his wife have been trying to work out their marriage, and they finally come to the conclusion that it's not working. And yeah. but I love that Ted Lasso doesn't make the wife or Ted a bad person. But that kind of breakup makes me really sad because I've experienced that before where it's like stuff just isn't working out and it's not that you don't care about each other, but this just isn't the path you're going to take. And it's it's frustrating at the time. And then usually with some time, it's fine. Like you're like, you know what? That was the relationship then. This is the relationship now. And that's how it's meant to be. Um, but you don't know that until the time passes. And so, like, I watch those scenes and I cry my eyes out. Whenever there's, like, a breakup where no one was an asshole, I'm like, oh, my God, why can't they be together? But this is kind of that situation. And it is, like, I think I think Celine Song said, like, it's, like, three grown-ups trying to get through a love triangle but doing it as maturely as they possibly can. And I was like, that, yeah. that is what this movie is. So I think a lot of people would have a familiarity with this kind of situation. If you're an adult and you've dated as an adult. Yeah. And I think that's what, like, it's from that scene on. And the scene, and you could ask Taylor because he was sitting next to me, but they start talking about what they could have been to one another in their past so lives. Cute. And they say... It's like maybe, maybe I was the bird, maybe you were the bird and I was the branch you land on. Mm -hmm. And it was like so fucking simple. Yeah. But it just like, I immediately like, I was like, okay, like, I think that's like when the first tear started like rolling Aww. down my face. From then out, I cried. And especially, so the movie ends, they say he's like, you know, He's like, you know, maybe this is one of our past lives. If so, what do you think we are to each other in the next one? And she goes, I don't know. And he's like, I'll see you then. And it's the yeah. finality of that. Because you know at that moment that he's saying goodbye to her. 
and she walks away and she just starts crying and i'm sitting there i'm crying and i'm like look i like after the credits are rolling i see other people are crying so i know it's not just me but it's just that goodbye it's the finality of it like you know it's the last time they're gonna see each other and yeah it's literally saying goodbyes that door is closing that past life is gone although and she goes to her yeah. husband i love that she goes to yeah. her husband and he just and he understands he yeah. just holds her he holds her as she cries because like celine song said when this happened to her she was already married and her childhood sweetheart was it was like the same situation he was visiting and she just realized like when she saw him she's like every romantic feeling was now platonic but i still cared very yeah. deeply for him and they actually still talk so yeah. I think like when he says I'll see you then, it's more of the end of the possibility for love and not the end of their friendship. Because like he did invite them to come visit him in Seoul. So I mean, I'm not yeah. saying they're going to pursue it, but it is it is kind of a finality of like this possibility of romance between the two of us. There is no possibility yeah. anymore. And I don't see it like a like any kind of animosity, but the reason I thought it was like a a goodbye goodbye is that you see the scene of them as children yeah. that you see earlier in the movie, but it's dark. Like, it's yeah. like the sky is dark. And I was like, it's like literally the sun has set on that time of them together. But I feel like also, so Nora is definitely, it's not that Sung is like immature, but it's like Nora is the one that's so confident and so mature, right? Yeah. But I felt, me personally, like this was Sung's like final like, let's see if something will happen. Not yeah. that he was, like, trying to get her to cheat on her husband. Nothing like that. But this was, like, because he had a girlfriend. But it was, like, almost like he was on pause with his girlfriend. Yeah. And for me, it was, like, maybe he still had that mental block of something that could happen. So that's that's just kind of the feeling I got. Yeah. But it, it wasn't like it was going to turn into any kind of affair. Because, like, Nor had, like, you know, Nor. It wasn't going to happen. Like, Nora no. loves her husband. I've never had well, a doubt in my mind that Nora loves her husband. And I did like the conversation between Nora and Arthur because she, you know, she's, before he meets Haesung, she's telling him about him. And he's like, well, are you attracted to him? And she's like, I don't think so. And I mean, that's like, I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm like, I don't know if I would know the answer to that either because it, I don't know how Nora is. But personally, if I'm in a committed relationship, even if I can, agree that someone is attractive like I am I, I'm kind of like a demisexual like I need a relationship with someone before I'm like attracted to them so for me I would be like I mean I think they're attractive but I'm not like attracted to them because I don't really that's not how my brain works personally and maybe that's how Nora is or maybe she yeah. just literally I think she's like he was just that little boy in my yeah. brain for so long and then he was a face on the computer and so it's just weird seeing him in person i don't really know yet but you know he's like am i standing in the middle of your like great love story with this person she's like no i love yeah. you this he's like but is this where you wanted to be and she's like it doesn't matter because it's where i am now and i'm with you and it was yeah. a very like i'm like that's a mature like that's what i liked is like everyone has a mature look at this relationship, even when they, like, kind of... Because the thing is, like, they they don't see each other for 12 years after she moves. And then they start a brief, like, Skype relationship where they're kind of from, kind of dating, 
but not physically dating because he lives in Korea and he's about to go to China and she's living in New York City about to go to Montauk. Speaking of Montauk. Also, there was some Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind references and I was like, I thought the writing for this movie was very similar. It's like, it, like it, I could tell that that was an inspiration for her because I was like, oh, yeah. like I can, yeah, there's a lot of like little things. But she really did go to Montauk and that's really where she met her husband. In that awesome. same house that they were filming at, that barn. Oh. It's um, oh shit! It's a writer's barn. I can't. It's a very famous writer's barn, and it's like a big thing where they've run. It's where he used to like premiere plays, and so like like used to workshop stuff. So they've turned into like a writer's retreat. Anyways, you know they start up this friendship, and it's like it's much more romantic. And yes. then there's this part, oh, I love this, the music is very whimsical, and the music, like, stays pretty whimsical when you're seeing this little montage of them talking to each other, and then he's going up this, like, one of those, tr like, mountainside trolleys, and he's like, you can see all of Seoul from here, and then right as, like, the call gets dropped because of, I guess, where he is, she's like, I miss you, and he doesn't yeah. hear her say that, and then, like soon after the music kind of like shifts into like a much more sadder theme and then she's like she has this talk where she's like when is when can you come see me and he's like i don't know it'll be a couple years and she's like and i can't come see you for a couple years and she's kind of just logically thought this through and she's like i'm you know romantically attached to this person that i'm never going to be able to physically be with logically yes. i'm hurting myself by, like, keeping this this possibility open. And I think that's something that I know I've had to learn. That, like, I've put myself in situations where I've been, like, I like this person. I care deeply for them. If I wait around long enough, things are going to work out. And that's just not how life works. And then... I experienced someone changing their life plans to be with me. And it, not that anyone sh who didn't change their life plans should feel bad about it. Obviously it wasn't meant to be, but when someone does, I didn't ask them to, they're just like, oh, I was going to move and now I'm not moving because I want to see where things are going was like a solidify that that was something that we both had the same, we're on the same page. And I think, Nora realizes that no matter how much we care about each other, this isn't realistically going to happen. And I need to take a few steps away to figure out how to proceed. But in, but it accidentally turns into, like, another 12 years of them not really talking. Which kind of sucks. Like, I feel bad. But I'm like, I appreciate Sung coming and seeing her at the eventually but i'm like if he really 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 wanted to be with her and she really really wanted to be with him one of them would have made the move you know and that is what people do and i i used to think people were crazy saying that but that was you know when i was in a relationship with someone who wouldn't put my wouldn't put what was best for us as a couple ahead of what they wanted selfishly uh, so, I mean, for me, I was like, yep, been there. And this is like a very mature way of looking at it. And it's kind of sad. So that's why I was kind of like when Sung's like, I know that he's kind of just trying to make sure 
that he made they made the right decision in not pursuing. I'm kind of like, why didn't you come to New York like like twelve years ago? Yeah, like I don't because he had the money to go all the way to China. That's why I think Hasten is like holding on to things a little more because he's the one that explicitly says like you know if you hadn't left, would we have gotten married? Would we have had children? And that's the other thing. It's like that's another reason that I think it it may be the last time they see each other because he puts it all on the table when he says that. Yeah. Because I I couldn't imagine how dangerous that would feel to say that to someone who's married. And granted, like, right? they do have a history. But it's still, like, saying, would we have gotten married? Would we have gotten children? And literally on the other side of her, her is her husband. I was like, that's laying it all on the table and the only time you do that is when you know there's a chance you may never see each other again i will say i think they everyone leaves with a clear conscience and yes and i think i think airing out grievances is the best way and being honest with someone is the best way to keep them in your life without keeping your heart available for heartbreak you know and honestly like you know, I think you. I think you totally can be friends with exes. I know I've been able to convert some relationships to a platonic, friendly relationship that I treasure dearly. But I think it does take distance and time to get over that stuff. And I think that's why I respected Nora being like, "I need to step away from you." Yeah. But it was really sad. Yeah. It's not like she wanted to, but she was just like. But that's why she's more logical and he's and she tells him she's like, I think marriage is hard for people like you who are very idealistic because that is true. Because when you think marriage has to be perfect and you have to be this perfect person for another person, it's hard to find that because the the truth of the matter is nobody's perfect and you might be perfect for another person, but you're never going to be perfect. And if you try to make yourself fit into that person's life, then you're not really a good fit for them. It should fall into place, not always easily, but pretty naturally. Like your relationship should never be the tough part. Everything else in life is going to be tough, but the relationship part should be natural and easy. If anyone's looking for love advice and not that I'm an expert, but I've had my heart broken a few times (laughs) and and currently in a, in my opinion, of super amazing, happy, best relationship of my entire life situation. On that note, out of the nine best picture nominees I've seen, and I saw this back in June. Yeah. And I loved it. I was like, this is my favorite movie I've seen of the year. It just like touched a, a part of my soul. And it's still my favorite. It's still my favorite of the best picture nominees. And it's so funny because back in June, I saw it, told my friend Jonathan, I was like, please go see this movie so we can talk about it. And he was like, I love it. Do you think you'll be nominated for anything? I was like, dude, I don't even care if it's nominated for anything because I love it so much that nothing's going to change how I feel about it. And then it got nominated for best picture. So that was a really good feeling. And best original screenplay. Yes, yes. I think it's probably more likely to get best original screenplay. Absolutely. But I... 
am highly, I'm still, I mean, I'm not surprised, but I'm disappointed that Celine Song isn't nominated for Best Director. Oh, she's so good. She's great. She's so and good. I don't understand why some people are nominated and she isn't. Uh, She's already, and and then I'll, I'll say we'll end this because I know you mm-hmm. got one more thing and I got one more thing. And then, uh, and then we'll, it'll be the episode of Side Tracks. Um, so she, they have announced Celine Song's second movie. It's going to be a romantic comedy and Pedro Pascal is set to start. Hey, everybody likes Pedro. Yeah. So I'm excited. I'm excited because I'm like, if she handles like this kind of like romantic, romantic drama, I'm really hoping that like maybe she'll do like a When yeah. Harry Met Sally type romantic Ooh. comedy. So that's what I'm I'm hoping for is something in that. Yeah. Vein. That's the other thing about past lives is it's mostly entertaining and kind of fun. There's not a whole lot of dialogue, but the dialogue that is present is interesting. And, like, everyone... It's it's just a lovely little movie. I did also watch... I know we might cover this on the podcast. The only other thing of relevance that I finally watched was Talk to Me. Oh, yes. It's so good. I, I really liked it. I wasn't blown away by it, but I really, really liked it. I enjoyed it. I hated the ending... For personal reasons, but I loved how they brought the ending full circle. So I respect you, the ending. You know, we saw that in theaters with Draven and Jaden, yeah. and Draven's mouth was just hanging open. I said, welcome to your first A24 film, baby. I guess I don't understand how there's going to be a second one, though. I It has to be same universe, different characters. It, it has, has to, to be. be. But I don't want to just see that, you know. I, but it's it's a good movie, and I, I love that, like, it's like an hour and a half, I think, because exactly halfway through the movie at like the 45 minute mark, the movie switches from being this funny little like teen comedy horror where it's like, oh, we're having possession parties to like full on body horror and stuff. And I was like, damn. And then like, you're like, oh. I'm already halfway through this movie. What? Yeah. I thought the cold open was a little bit like freaky too because oh, it's like. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, it's so much violence Although, and just like. unrealistic. You couldn't get that much force with just your hand to do that to your face. Just to be honest. I was like, I don't think that could actually happen. But it did look cool. Yeah. It looked. All the gore yeah. looked really good. It was. T- I think that's, that was probably the worst part. Scariest part. I think part. when you. S- you see the main possession happen and that that's the that's the scene that like we're all watching it and literally every time like a face gets hit or something I'm just like Ugh, uh, uh, like it's yeah. like that visceral reaction the that like my whole thing body got drip. me when he tried oh, to yeah. pop his eyeball out I was yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah 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 I mean obviously he Ugh. didn't but yeah but that was the only thing like of significance that I watched uh, but I don't want to talk too much about it because I know we'll probably do it at some point. So I don't uh, want to, like, spoil it, but I really enjoyed yeah. it. And it we did have to rent it. We finally just broke down and rented it because we've been waiting for it to come on streaming because it's been, like, rentable for a little while. But I was like, it's going to come on Max or, like, or Stars because both of them do A24 movies. And it still hasn't as of today. So mm. we just, you know, Scott was like, I'm just going to rent it for us because I want to see it too. So we watched it. I, I liked it. It's good. It's, yeah. Two thumbs up. <laughs> I'm kind of yeah. surprised, though, as horror movies go, that it also... I'm not I'm not that surprised I didn't get nominated, but I would have appreciated, like, a writing nomination or something. I think it could have gotten a writing nomination. But... Because it is about, like, grief. Yeah. 
and it's kind of I don't know but you know movies always get snubbed at the Oscars so that's the thing though like supposedly in the horror community now people are like not everything has to be a metaphor for grief and so like that's like now we're seeing that turn and I think we're also seeing the rebirth of slasher movies coming out a little bit which personally, Which I've said it before, I said it again, I, I like the metaphor for grief thing, and I, I, I like scripts that are layered, so, but I was raised in a slasher household. My dad loves slasher movies, my older yeah. brother loves slasher movies, so I'm just pretty much here for all the horror, and if yeah. I like it, I like it, if I don't, I don't. I like having horror movies that mean something more. I, I enjoy grief ones, because obviously that is a very real feeling we've all gone through, but I think they can be metaphors for other things too. Like, I don't think Suspiria, the new one was a metaphor for grief. It was more of like womanhood and stuff. I'm like, do stuff like that. That's fine too. Yeah. Or, you know, masculinity or whatever. That's fine. You know, it doesn't have to be that. And this one, yeah. I feel like the grief thing was part of it, but it was more how the bad spirits got to her. Yeah. And not really, it wasn't really even about her grief because she didn't work through it because they wouldn't let her work through it because they were tricking her the whole time. And this is kind of a lesson to not play with the embalmed hands of psychics. Yeah. Why would you, why would you do that? I just, I, I, like I said, I loved it because this was, this was the joy of getting to see my nephew watch the like, A24 <laughs> horror film. And just, like, you could tell, like, his little mind was so blown. Like, that was the absolute best part of it. It's like, yeah, because afterwards I was sending him, like, the hand on the A24 shop. I'm like, I'm getting you this for Christmas. He's like, please don't. Oh, no. Oh. (laughs) It was, like, I I think it, I think if I was younger and I had seen it, I would be terrified of that movie. I think me nowadays, I wasn't terrified, but it was really good. Like, and maybe that's why I like things that have metaphors and have grief horror, because, like, I don't get as scared as easily anymore from horror films as I used to when I was younger, which is good, because I can go to sleep at night now um, when I watch scary movies. But, like, I enjoy, like, the breaking, like, the symbolism of, like, horror is actually symbolic of this. Um, But, Yeah. yeah, that's... It's it's rentable still. So if you want to rent it, rent it. It's good. I'm sure we'll do it on the podcast because I'm. It there's a lot to talk about it with that movie. But what was the last thing you watched? Okay, so uh, my coworker's uh, fiance actually recommended this to me, and I was like, I was telling Taylor, I was like, I need to watch this. So a little backstory: Michael Green is a scriptwriter. He wrote uh, Logan, Alien Covenant, Blade Runner twenty forty nine, okay. and him yeah. and his wife Amber Nosumi. They had a little girl, and her their daughter is, you know, Amber is Asian, and so, like, their daughter was born with blue eyes, and she got really excited, and she was, like, she started thinking about it. She's like, why am I so excited that my child is more, like, white-appearing than Asian-appearing? And they took this idea, and they end up making this animated show called Blue Eyes Samurai, and it's a oh. Netflix original. And so it's not an anime. A lot of people think that's an anime, but it was actually animated by Blue Spirit Studio, which is a French studio. Mm -hmm. And they did also uh, What If, and they've done a few other shows. But watching Blue Eyes Samurai, I was like, I was, I told Taylor, I was like, I'm gonna watch this show. And he was like, I don't know if I want to watch it. I said, that's okay. And then we watched the first episode. He's like, now you can't watch it without me. Uh, So (laughs) we went for this show so quick. And it is so 
good. It reminds me a lot of Quentin Tarantino in a way. Yeah. Um, because there's even literally a scene where they're playing like a Japanese version of Inter Sandman by Metallica. Um <laughs> But yeah, it's basically, Uh, so in Japan in the 1600s, they've closed off all trade and there's four mm -hmm. white men and there is a a woman who's born with blue eyes and because she's a mixed race, she's treated very poorly. So she decides she's going to go track down the four white men because like she's orphaned, her mother's been killed, but she travels and like essentially acts like a man because it's easier mm-hmm. to travel as a man during that time period but she's Calling actually a, a female warrior and it's just it's so it's so badass like i love the fight scenes it's largely pretty historically accurate now the language isn't my favorite part not because i don't mind the word fuck i like the word fuck it's one of my favorite words but i'm like okay they wouldn't be saying fuck this much in 16th century japan but there's a the fifth episode which i do not want to spoil it for anyone who watches but the fifth episode goes into a character's backstory and mm-hmm. it also has a bumraku like play intertwine and bumraku is like the japanese puppetry theater mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it is one of the most gorgeous animated episodes i think oh, i've cool. seen in a television show uh and it is so devastating and that's the thing it's like i ended up really liking these characters which i think is what made it like hard to watch it and there's like but the action is so good. Like, the fight scenes are so incredible and so well choreographed. I was just, like, drooling because it reminded me, as I've said before, I, I saw Kill Bill when I was 14. And it's one of the most influential pieces of film I've ever seen. I loved it. And it really took me back to being, like, a teenager watching Kill Bill. Again, is oh. what I felt like. Yeah, I'll never forget the Oren Ishii story. Oh, Oren Ishii. Yes. Oren Ishii's oh, story Chris- is my favorite. There Her, is- the animated part is my favorite like it's my favorite part of that movie well and maybe the fight scene at the yeah maybe that too i don't know her whole there's literally a scene and i forgot what the weapon is called so she has her the lead character's name misu which i thought was cool because it instantly reminds me of the restaurant like that we live near i love misu and it was actually so funny because it was literally like just last year that i was telling taylor i was like what does misu mean and then like i looked up i was like it means water okay that makes so much more sense and the lead character in Blue Eyes Samurai is named Mizu. And water is like a reoccurring imagery and motif in this series. So you see water a lot. But they they never once are like, Mizu means water. They don't do any kind of explanatory like, stuff like that, That's which fair. I like. I like yeah. it when they're not like, we're going to hit you over the head with this because this is what her name means. Um, but yeah, I really liked it. But there are some people that they... Now, I'm white everyone anyone who knows me knows i'm white plus white plus white because it's like scottish british welsh um so there are some people that i guess uh don't like what they have to say about mixed race people but i think it's more about what colonialism in japan was doing and i think that's like the forefront and i think there's a lot to be said about like how misu does it like herself um yeah so there there's a lot of like interesting ideas that i think i would like to expound upon like if you watched it or if like someone who was listening was like hey Brittany, i can chime in a little bit more on that as a person of color because i i don't know i just felt sorry 
for Mizu, but not because she's a mixed race, but because of the way she's treated by other people. And there is like a very brilliant line where not to spoil anything, but she, she's so hell bit on revenge that she's, she starts to become blinded by her one of revenge. And someone's like, you know, you, you're willing to burn down half a town for your revenge. That's the white side in you. And, like, you know, so I well, think there's... I, I, I can't I, completely I really, disagree. Really it, so. Like, Manifest Destiny killed a lot of people. So I can't yeah. completely disagree. Are you going to watch Shogun on FX? I I am so curious about that. And I've heard it took them 10 years to make this show. Shogun, well, by the way. So my, so the reason I know about Shogun... Because it's, it's also takes place in colonial Japan. So, and it's about, like white people invading Japan. Like, not invading, but, like, uh, mixing cultures and mm-hmm. interfering in Japanese yeah. politics. Um, and it's based on historical actual events. But, so my dad had the book when I was a kid. So I was, I actually, I haven't actually read it, but I remember seeing it on my bookshelf, and I was like, what the hell is this? And they turned into a very well-received huge, massive undertaking of a miniseries in, like, the 70s or 80s. I think it was late 70s, early 80s, one of those. So, like, I've known about Shogun from the back of my head. So, this, as soon as I saw the beginning of the trailer, I was like, are they redoing Shogun? And Scott saw it, and he was like, oh, my God, we have to watch this when it comes out. And I was like, there's a lot of people involved in it that are pretty famous. And there's, I, I think, one of the main, the main, the husband, I think, from Ring... Ringu, I think, is in it, as well as, like, people... There are a bunch of people. I feel like he's one of the guys in it. But anyways, the cast looks great, and it's basically about a real-life Englishman who came in, and he got involved with one of the... And he became a samurai under this very powerful family in Imperial Japan in the 1600s, and how... His, like, his, it's, like, from his viewpoint is how they did the original miniseries. But this is more focusing on the Japanese characters and how colonial interference affected Japan's, like, life in Japan. So I think it's probably going to be, I'm hoping and I think it's going to be a much more um, historically accurate uh, look at it because I I didn't see the miniseries, but I can only uh, imagine that it might have been a little more like maybe white Jesus kind of vibe. I don't know. Like I know there was forty seven Ronin too, where Keanu Reeves was basically a very similar character. So, but this I'm excited because it looks beautiful. I I saw the trailer for Sh- uh, Shogun. I was like, oh my god, because I remember reading about it, and then mm-hmm. I forgot that like it was literally due to come out soon. But um, I was gonna finish up with like Blue Samurai. I was gonna say real quick there is there was a scene because you know once again alluding it, I told you it reminded me of like some of Quentin Tarantino's works in a way, like especially Kill Bill. But uh, there's mm-hmm. a scene. It reminds me so much of when she's fighting the crazy eighty eight. Because oh, it's yay. like almost like a break dance and she has a lot of opponents, but she takes like her katana and it becomes a nagi nata, which is like the pole arm. So it's like it stands and like she's swinging it around. And I just like I said, I felt like a kid again because I was like so I don't know what it says to me that like it's like this really violent anime was like making me like giddy. 
Um, well, probably something very wrong with me mentally. But no, I think one of the reasons <laughs> Tarantino said that he studied more of like the like the way the Crazy Eighty Eight scene is filmed is very much influenced by Japan's mm-hmm. approach to violence. Where, like, the blood is very bright colors. It's almost pretty. And it's, like, splurts. Yeah, yeah. it's splurts. It's, it's like not realistic. Yeah, it's yeah. not realistic. It's over the top. Because it's fun. Like, he yells at that at that report. He's like, because it's fun, Diane. That's not her name. But yeah. <laughs> I love that clip. He's like, because it's fun. I like it. But, I mean, that's probably, it is fun. Because it's not real. It's not realistic. This is also, it's also, like, there's a clear distinction that they are, not just men, but they're bad men. So, like, mm. I'm not gonna say... So, there is, like, a very harrowing scene where she is asked to kill some kill someone, and it's very upsetting. But for the most part, the entire series, it's, like, the, it's all men that she's killing, and they're all, like, men that have done very bad things and have done bad deeds. So, it's almost like... You're watching this badass woman uh, take out these very bad men. But yeah, I like it's a good for her movie. It's a good for her show. Good good for for her. her. Good for her her until she starts to like lose herself within the revenge ploy. But I mean, I I think very interesting cast of characters, the supporting cast of characters who uh, bring like the comic relief are really cool. I just really like it. I would love to hear more people talk about it. They did just renew it for a second season, and I'm very glad they did. Um, But yeah, BoJack is still, like, my favorite Netflix animated original (laughs) show, but I'm like, this one, I really, really enjoyed this one. And like I said, I'm I'm welcome to any criticisms that other people may have of the show. I'm really interested to hear it, but if, like, other people really like the show, I really am interested to hear that, too. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely something I will put on my list, because I still need to finish my happy marriage. I got, like, halfway through that, and then I realized, oh, more episodes have come out. Oops. I've yeah. realized sometimes I just need to binge things and wait until they come out completely, so I'll actually my watch them. My happy marriage is, like, really, like, a low, low stress. Like, bad things happen, yes. but they're not, like, world-altering. It's <laughs> almost, like, just sweet slice of life. I don't know. Yeah. My happy marriage was, like, a calming show for me. Yeah. Like, just have a glass it's of tea and watch my happy marriage. It's pretty yeah. calm, and usually issues are resolved in, like, two episodes or less, and you're like, dang, mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. But yeah, that's all really I watched. Um, yeah, and you watched. But that's good. And yeah, so, oh, next week we're doing The Blackening, which is on... Uh, stars. Stars. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Stars. Stars. So next week we're going to cover The Blackening, which came out last year. It's on Stars. And it's like a horror comedy where a group of black friends are like at... A vacation house for Juneteenth, and there's this weird kind of racist-looking board game that they start playing. And I forgot about the board game aspect when I was like, oh, let's watch that, and then I rewatched the trailer. And then someone is basically, like, hunting them down. But it seems like it's much more of a social commentary. So I'm getting the vibe, like, of, like, bad hair kind of oh. movie, which we had a lot of fun watching Bad Hair. So it looks very funny, and it also looks like there's some social commentary, which is always fun. And um, and it's Black History Month, so like Brittany said very well before, we're two white ladies, so please, if you are of 
not white people, <laughs> if you're not a white cisgendered straight lady and you have an opinion about it, please let us know because we always welcome criticism and also other opinions and people who like have actually experienced stuff. And then if you guys have any suggestions of non-Oscar movies, because I think the next sidetracks is the next we'll sidetracks Oscar. Oscars. Yeah. So, you know, if you have some, another movie you want us to watch, because we'll be watching a lot of Oscar movies in the lead up to that, please let us know and be careful, be kind to one another and um, watch some fun movies. Um, don't follow too closely in cars and <laughs> get insurance because it does help. And yeah, we love you. Thank you for listening. Spayed and neuter your pets. The puppies will thank you for it. Um, we love you guys. We appreciate each and every one of you. Keep well, because there's sickness going around right now. Other than that, thank you again for always listening. We love you. And we just look forward to seeing you next time. Same spoopy time, same spoopy channel. Stay spoopy, y'all. Bye. Bye. Grindhouse Girls Podcast is a production by Katie Dale and Britt Ray. Our editor is N.R. Moody. All music used is royalty-free and can be found in our annotations. You can follow us on all of our socials. And if you have any comments, questions, or just want to say hey, our email is contactus at grindhousegirlspod.com. Thanks for listening.